Do you need help protecting your finances as you enter retirement? David Dickens of KC Financial Advisors has got you covered. Welcome to the Cover Your Assets KC podcast. Coming up on today's show on Cover Your Assets KC, we're going to be leveling up your financial knowledge. We're talking stock market terms and topics to know. If you ever wanted to learn just a little bit more about investing in the stock market, well, this episode is going to be for you. We're going to cover some of the terms that you've probably heard before, but perhaps never truly knew what they meant or how they worked or how they might impact you. And so we're just going to try and level up everybody's knowledge a little bit on the show today. David, none of this will be new information for you, as it shouldn't, being our resident financial (laughs) advisor and person we turn to for questions like this. But you've had a chance to take a peek at what we're going to cover today. I imagine that uh, some of these things you've heard people maybe have questions about before. Uh, Where do you think the the knowledge on the things we're going to discuss today usually lands? I think it usually lands on what I try not to do in my practice is use jargon, but a lot of these things might be classified as jargon. And sometimes when you're in the middle of a conversation with somebody and they get that blank look on your face, on their face, you're thinking to yourself, okay, I need to go back a couple of paragraphs ago and backfill some information. So what we're going to try to do here today is backfill information before it's needed. These are things that people in in my business tend to take for granted that everybody knows. Uh, But a lot of things of these, they may be um, an inch deep and a mile wide, whereas some of these topics, you'd kind of like to have a little bit more than an inch deep in knowledge. So we're not going to try to give you uh, a dramatic amount of, of knowledge about any of these, but hopefully just the right amount to make you more conversant, not necessarily in in your friend's financial life, but in your financial life. Yeah, and uh, you know this topic may not be um, the, the the greatest one ever to some people, but it might be the coolest one to someone else. And so that's the beautiful of, uh, thing of podcasting, David. If if this does start to cause somebody to glaze over, feel free to tune out and come back for the next episode, right? And then those of you who are really digging it and enjoying it, uh, well, we're glad that this one is for you. And well, I'm so, going to do my best not to go down any long rabbit holes here. We're going to try perfect. to keep it relatively high level, but super informative. Perfect. Well, I've been curious about some of these things before. And again, it's the kind of thing where you, you hear about it, but you don't really take the time to investigate and figure out what it's all about. Well, today we get to do a little bit of that investigating. So let's start here. Um, I, I've heard in the stock market before things like bid and, and the word ask. And then there's a combo of the two called a bid-ask spread. So what's the difference between all of those? Why are they helpful to anyone who would be in the stock market? And does it impact your your everyday uh, client and investor in any way? I'm going to give a super, hopefully a, a really <laughs> not interesting, uh, but I'm going to give a, a, an easy to understand analogy. And then I'm going to tell you how we use it in, in how I use it in my business. If you're going to sell your car and you go to say, well, what would a dealer buy this from me for? Or what would they sell the exact same car to me for? So if you go to sell your car to a dealer, they might give you 15000 for it. But if you want to buy that same car, they're going to charge somebody 18000 and they're going to make $3,000 in the middle. The bid is $15,000 that they'll pay you for the car. The 18000 that's the offer, what they'd offer to sell it to you for. So that hopefully is a super easy to understand uh, analogy of a bid ask spread. It happens all the time. It's just when it's got an investment label in front of it, you, know, you really don't, you, it's easy to not understand. So every investment has a bid ask spread. What one dealer will buy an investment from you for 
or how much you can buy it from them for. And the difference in the middle is their profits. How I use this is, so I spent uh, 25 years in the fixed income business where we were buying millions, tens of millions, and hundreds of millions of dollars worth of bonds in a single transaction. When the dollar amount gets really big, the bid ask spread tends to get very small. But when you're dealing with odd lots, $5,000 municipal bond or a $10,000 municipal bond, the bid ask spread gets quite wide. In other words, the answer is cheaper is better anytime you're executing a trade in the investment business. And so that's why when I'm especially dealing with bonds in my clients' portfolios, I tend to not buy individual bonds because we would be buying 10, 15, or $20,000 of an individual bond. Whereas if I buy bonds in an exchange-traded fund, I get a very, very small bid-ask spread. So better execution, smaller bid-ask spread means that they're cheaper to trade, which almost always means that's a better deal for the investor. Okay, excellent. That's bid-ask and bid-ask spread. Uh, some background knowledge on those terms. Again, we're going to hit a lot of different uh, terms. Some of these will be more minutiae. Others will be a little bit broader. This next one, I think uh, people have been hearing a lot about lately, David. That's the, you know, are we in a bull or a bear market? That one, I think, works its way into common vernacular a little bit more. Is it important for people to understand which one we're in? Well, I think it's critically important based on the way we manage money here. And for, for people that are in retirement, I think it's super important. So the terms, all they mean is a bear market is when the overall trend in the stock market is up. And a bear market is when the overall trend in the market is down. Usually a bear market label gets hung on a market when the market is down 20% from the peak. And it becomes a new bull market when it recovers 20% from the bottom. I think that is super important because with, with our clients, we tend to be overweight stocks, overweight risk assets when we're in an uptrend. And we tend to be underweight or dramatically underweight stocks or risk assets when the trend is down. So in my world, it is super important to understand whether we're in a bull or a bear market. If you're a, a super duper do-it-yourselfer, might be important because you may have some risk mitigation techniques that you want to employ. If you don't, it's really important to know that the market is seasonal. It goes from bull market to bear market on a, on a somewhat regular basis. And what you would want to make sure that you know is in a bear market, I'm not overly exposed to risk assets, or if I am, <laughs> The one thing I don't want to do is sell at or near the bottom of a bear market because I got nervous. The time to get out of stocks is not at the bottom. It's somewhere close to the top. The time when your emotions tell you to get out of stocks, i.e. the bottom of a bear market, is the time when you really, your head should be telling you, I need to be getting into stocks. So I think it's super important to know the difference. 
Very helpful a description there between the bull and the bear markets. All right, how about this, David? I'm curious about trading strategies. For anybody that's ever looked at that before, you might hear things like buy and hold. That's probably a pretty common one to a lot of our listeners. But then you'll also see others like swing or day trading. And I'm sure there are many others that get more and more specific beyond that. Um, can you explain maybe some of the differences between different strategies in the stock market? Yeah, sure. Uh, the strategy you choose, hopefully, is is really well suited for your uh, emotion and the size of your nest egg. So Why isn't one hold, of them called the always makes money strategy? That's what I want to know. <laughs> you know, they've been looking for that for thousands of years, <laughs> and it just hasn't surfaced yet. That's right. Uh, um, so buy and hold is just that. You, you buy a portfolio of usually mutual funds, sometimes stocks, or uh, sometimes ETFs, that you feel like through... Heck or high water, you'll be able to hold those. And over time, over a 5, 10, or 15-year period, you'll have more than you started with. So you're not going to sell. You're going to buy some things that look smart today and hold. My experience is that people can't do that. And that's a topic for another podcast. But if you happen to believe that you're a buy and hold person, that's a strategy. Swing trading and day trading are related in that day trading, you you almost never hold a position overnight. You may buy something at the open, you may sell it once it's achieved your goals, or it becomes unprofitable and you and you cut your losses. But that all happens during the same day. Swing trading tends to be, and again, this is trading, not investing. But swing trading is Maybe you are looking at the 50-day and 200-day moving averages, and you believe that it's going to bounce off of the 200-day moving average in this market on its way down to test the 50-day moving average. That could take a week, a month, two months, but you're trading that swing, and it's often based on technical indicators like moving averages, as opposed to more fundamental things like corporate earnings or what you think the Fed might do. And then trend following, uh, which is what we do, and and um, that is more of a be overweight when when you're in a, an up market, a bull market, and be underweight risk when you're in the bear market. So those are those are three popular trading slash investment strategies that people have probably heard of. Pretty good um, uh, moment to to kind of step aside though. There, I think that's helpful that you illustrated that, David. <laughs> Trading and investing, not the same things. And th those two words do have very different meanings in these applications. So great to keep that in mind as you kind of think and hear about those different things. This one I think is a great question. Is there a big difference between, everyone's heard of these, right? The NASDAQ, the Dow, the S&P 500. And I know there's a bunch of other markets out there. Well, what's the best way for people to understand the differences between those things? Or should we just kind of picture them all the same? Yeah, they are significantly different. And if you look at year-to-date performance of those types of indexes, they are significantly different year-to-date. So for instance, the, uh, the Dow Jones Industrial Average, well, as the name implies, it's a bunch of industrial companies. It's um, 30 different companies, all of which you have heard of. You know, uh, The top 10 holdings include United Health. Goldman Sachs, Home Depot, McDonald's, Caterpillar. So they're big industrial companies. Uh, and, and the top 10 of those holdings make up 55% of the index. So with all except one that I'm going to talk about, they are all called cap-weighted indices. You would kind of think that if there are 30, 30 stocks in the index, that 
there would be 3.3% holding for each of those stocks. But for instance, in the Dow, United Health Group makes up almost 10.5% of the index. Goldman Sachs is about 7.5% of the index. So that's super important to understand. And then they're all giant companies. So that's the Dow. It tends to be stodgy older companies that should be less volatile in down markets like we're having uh, today. And that's the case. The S&P 500 uh, is, you would have thought, well, that might have an equal weight of 500 different companies. And there is an ETF that will actually do that for you. But the one we most invest in is also a cap weighted index. And its top 10 holdings are, again, household names, Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, uh, Tesla is even in there, although two and a half years ago it wasn't, uh, Exxon. So it's it's more household names. And it is, and, th and there's basically no cash in these indexes either. Regardless of whether the market is going up or down, the index doesn't hold cash. There's no risk aversion to it. So these are all really large companies and the S&P 500 index is often viewed as the stock market in America because it has exposure to these 500 mostly household names. The NASDAQ 100, so the, the biggest five holdings in the S&P, the biggest six holdings are also the same biggest six holdings in the NASDAQ 100. A lot of people don't realize that, but there's a tremendous amount of overlap. They're just more amplified in the NASDAQ 100. So for instance, Apple is the biggest holding in both the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ. But in, in Apple in the S&P 500 is 6.5% of the index. In the NASDAQ 100, it's 13% of the index. Microsoft is 5.5% um, of the S&P 500, but over 10% of the NASDAQ. So the NASDAQ is really kind of considered to be the, the high-tech index, and it is, by, it is certainly more volatile than the S&P 500 because it has a significantly higher exposure to some of these more volatile growth companies. There's another index called the Russell 2000. It's a small cap index. So the other, the things we've talked about uh, before, Dow, S&P, and NASDAQ, those are all big company indexes. The Russell 2000 is by definition a small company index. I'm looking through the holdings. It is, well, people have probably heard of Texas Roadhouse because they've eaten there. Yeah. But most my, people have my, my never heard of My dad loves him some Texas Roadhouse. <laughs> One of his favorite lunch spots. But most people have, would have never heard of the vast majority of these stocks because they are really small companies in, in little, little backwater areas of our economy doing important things. They're just not household names. And that tends to be a more volatile index because a lot of the companies in that index don't have earnings. They may have revenue, but they're more startup. They're more small cap. They, they, um, they're small companies that may not have earnings. So it makes it way more volatile. And then, um, and then one thing I mentioned earlier, the equal weight S&P 500. You can get an ETF that instead of having a big weighting on Microsoft or Apple or Amazon, it would have an equal weighting amongst all 500 companies. And uh, so depending on what you're trying to accomplish with your investments, 
uh, that might be an appropriate approach for a piece of your holdings. So understanding the difference between the indexes, I think is super important because you're buying different, an allocation to totally different segments of the, of the U.S. corporate market. Okay. Learning all about the stock markets today, plural, not just one market, but there we go. We expanded out to multiple markets that kind of make up, uh, you know, what are, what we envision as the stock market. So that's very helpful, David. Uh, let's talk about another investing term. We've got a couple more to hit on the show today. What about volume and why is that important to investing in the market? Is it something worth paying a lot of attention to? And, and what does it really mean? So it's important to me. And the reason is because that tells me it, high volume days, whether they're up or down, tell me that big institutional money is moving, either in or moving out. And so uh, I, I pulled up a, a chart of the S&P 500 over the last, well, just this last year to date. And if you look at, we've had two really, we're in the middle of a third, really nice run up, maybe a 10% rebound, a 15% rebound in a down market. And if you look at the volume that was traded on those days during the upswing, the volumes are lower than the volumes that occur when the, when the market is going down in a bear market. So all that tells me is that a, a, a rally, an increase in, in index values, an increase in the S&P that's going up on light volume is not sustainable. So that's how I use of volume. If you're trading individual stocks, you would you would definitely be clued in on the volume that's happening in any individual stock. But I don't trade individual stocks for my clients. Uh, and so that's that's how I would use volume uh, in my business. Very good. It's also important, I think, to illustrate that too. Like the, these answers, this information that you're giving us, there's some differences here between if you were a do-it-yourself or going out and just investing in the stock market solo and buying individual stocks versus this broader view of how someone like you, a financial advisor, uses these terms, uses this knowledge. So the knowledge can be the same, but the application of it can be very different depending on your goals and your, your angles and your purposes. So that's very helpful. Um, I feel like over the last several years, even if you're not, you know, really tuned into the financial markets, you've probably heard the word short. Even if nothing else, you maybe watch the movie The Big Short, <laughs> and, and, and that kind of envelops this term into it as well. What, what's happening when someone is shorting the market or they're going short? What, what does that usually indicate and, and why is that important to know? Yeah, so that usually, it indicates two things. Most often, it indicates that somebody is betting on a downtrend, whether they're shorting the S&P or the NASDAQ, or whether they are shorting Amazon or Apple. And, all, and shorting means that you are, you're short a stock, you, you've sold something, this is going to get a little confusing, but you've sold a stock, let's say you're short Apple, you have sold the stock that you didn't own. In other words, you have a net negative position in that stock, you're betting on it's going down and you're going to buy it back or cover your short at a lower price. You made money because the stock went down in value. You can do that on, a, on the S&P 500 or the NASDAQ or most any larger uh, stock holding in the United States. The other thing, so that's, that is betting on a downtrend. What we use it for, and I do that, <laughs> full disclosure, I do that for my own portfolio, 
but I don't do that for clients' portfolios. What I do do for client portfolios is I will use a, a short ETF to hedge their portfolio or to hedge a position in their portfolio. So for instance, real specific, if we're going to invest in the S&P 500, we typically use an ETF that would be that would have the ticker symbol SPY. If and let's say that that account, that SPY position is in a taxable account. So in other words, if we have built up a nice gain in that in that S&P 500 investment, what we don't really want to do is turn around and sell it when we're convinced the market is going down because we'll create a capital gain and they're going to have to pay taxes on that. If there's a way to hedge that position in a taxable account such that we don't have to sell it, but we can insulate ourselves either partially or fully from a down market, then we should try to do that. And the way we would do that either fully or partially is to buy a, a um, an ETF with the ticker symbol SH. And that works in a one-to-one -one relationship opposite to the S&P 500, the SPY. So all we're doing there is adding a, a counterbalance, a something on the, the other side of a teeter-totter. I'm not sure what word picture to draw here. But if SPY is up 1% on, on a given day, SH is going to be down 1% on that same day. So what we've done by adding SH to that portfolio is to neutralize the upside and the downside of SPY. So those are the two ways that I think very practical uh, usages for shorting the market. I will say that shorting the market can lose you a lot of money if you're wrong. So you're betting on Apple earnings uh, coming in badly. Well, you could short Apple stock, but if you're wrong on that bet and Apple stock shoots higher, that's when you get into covering your short positions. And if you've ever heard of the term a short covering rally, all that means is a lot of market participants were short a particular stock, they were wrong, and as the stock starts going up in price, they have to cover those shorts, which fuels the uptrend. Uh, so shorting is not for the faint of heart. Using it as a hedging position in your portfolio can be really smart. Yeah, that's where you start to get into terms like squeeze and other things like that, right? <laughs> yes, things you don't want to be on the wrong side of. That's right. That's right. We're, 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 we're definitely getting away from, I think, the verbiage that you're normally using with clients and getting into, David, because you're not ever really putting them in a position where they need to know shorting and squeezing and, and all those kinds of things, which... Again, it's all context. It's all it's all good stuff to know. But sometimes it's just fun to learn about these things, even if they won't necessarily directly apply, uh, you know, to the strategies that we're using or to the philosophies that you have. Still, cool to know kind of what else is out there. Yeah, and that, leave... and that shorting strategy is super important with a with a non IRA account. But with an IRA account, since there aren't any tax implications to selling out of your SPY position or your QQQ position or whatever it is, you just go ahead and sell those positions to neutralize the account. But in a non-IRA account, there are tax implications. So there are, there are common usages for these, but if all you have is IRA money, you would never really need to know about that. 
Very helpful. All right, I'll leave this last one to you, David. Um, I'm just going to throw out some things. You may not want to touch any of these. Uh, you may want to pick a, <laughs> pick and choose a few of them. I'm just going to have some fun here at the very end. Um, any other topics you would enjoy explaining? How about IPOs or blue chip stocks or dividend paying stocks? And if you really want to get crazy, beta, gamma, delta, and the rest of the Greek alphabet. <laughs> Well, so much to your chagrin, I am going to pick one of the Greeks. Oh, perfect. No, I love it because I like learning about this stuff. So so the other things that are super important, you know, initial public offerings or, um, you know, the difference between blue ships, blue chip stocks or, or more speculative stocks, dividend paying stocks. We may do a whole podcast on that in the new year uh, because that's a strategy in and of itself. But uh, what I do want to just briefly mention is the term beta because a lot of people have probably heard of that, but didn't really know what it was and all that means. But it is super important as you're looking at uh, a particular stock, a particular mutual fund, a particular ETF to go in your portfolio. What One of the things you'll want to know is it's beta. It's correlation to some index, almost always the S&P 500. So here's how I use that. And here's how you would want to use that. If you're looking at maybe the NASDAQ, and you want to say, well, what's its correlation to the S&P 500? Is it more volatile or less volatile than the S&P 500 over a one-year period or a three-year period? So a one-year beta or a three-year beta. All beta means is it's this particular investment's correlation to, let's say, the S&P 500. If it has a beta of one, that just means that over a period of time, six months or a year, it's going to move in a one-to-one correlation with the market, with the S&P 500. If it has a beta of 1.3, then it means that if the market is up 10%, you're going to be up 13%. If the market's down 10%, you're going to be down 13% in this particular investment. It has either a lesser correlation to the market or a higher than one-to-one correlation to the market. Beta is super important. I use it all the time. And if you're a, if you're a pretty decent do-it-yourselfer, you would absolutely want to know about the, the beta, the correlation to the market of any particular investment that you're contemplating or that you own. Thanks for detailing that for us, David. Man, I feel like I leveled up my financial knowledge just a little <laughs> bit today uh, listening to today's program. So I appreciate you walking us through these things. I know that can be maybe intimidating for you to, to dabble in those waters uh, you know, with your clients, but also maybe intimidating to our listeners to explore some of these things too. But I think if we all approach it in a good way of, hey, let's just, let's just add to our knowledge a little bit. There's no test at the end of this. It's okay if you only picked up one or two nuggets from here. That was the purpose. Pick up a couple of nuggets and level up that knowledge just a little bit. So well done, all involved, those listeners who tuned in through the end, and to you as well, David, for helping us uh, go after some of these cool terms to know about the stock market. If you've got questions about something you heard today, you're intrigued, you want to learn more, you want to know more, you want to know how this impacts your financial planning in more detail, in more depth, well, that's all part of the complete planning review process that David runs for clients, doing them every day when people are in the office working with him. Uh, If you want to get in touch and have a conversation about how you can go through that planning process or ask any simple questions that might be on your mind, doesn't matter. Reach out, have a conversation with David at 913-317-1414. 
913-317-1414. And you can also go online to CoverYourAssetsKC.com. That's CoverYourAssetsKC.com. And you can check the show notes, the description of today's show, for more contact information. David, thanks for all the help today. Really enjoyed this one, and uh, we'll look forward to another episode with you next week. Yeah, I've been getting some really good listener questions, and so we're going we're gonna to tackle some of those next time and hopefully have some you know, broad application to our listeners. Beautiful. Always look forward to those uh, style of episodes. We'll have that on the docket next time around, right back here on Cover Your Assets KC. Until then, thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll talk to you soon. Investment advisory services offered through ChangePath LLC, a registered investment advisor. ChangePath LLC and KC Financial Advisors are separate companies.